And uh, I'm looking forward to today as we uh, jump into part two of the series, Breaking Point. And as we do, uh, I just want to talk about uh, a documentary that I watched recently. It's about uh, Olympic athletes. Uh, here it is. It's called The Weight of Gold. You may recognize the face there. That's Michael Phelps that dude with just a bazillion medals uh, swimming. But uh, this documentary uh, is about the emotional and the mental impact that competing in the Olympics, training for the Olympics, just what that has on people. And so uh, they interview a bunch of athletes and one that really stood out to me was uh, this guy right here, uh, Sean White, uh, the snowboarder, the skateboarder. And he just said something in this documentary that really hit me and I think is uh, a good connection to what we're talking about today. So here's what he said. He said, after the Olympics, there's this incredible crash. Nothing really matters as much anymore. I remember trying to compete after the Olympics and it was awful. I had no motivation, like what does this even matter? So that's Sean White talking about just life after the Olympics. It's like you have this mountaintop experience and of course for Sean White being a snowboarder, literally, uh, you compete, in some cases you win a medal and then you come home and then crash, it's just, it's just not the same. You just experience this emotional collapse. And maybe you've experienced something like that. And uh, the person we're gonna be spending some time with today in the scriptures did experience that sort of high point and then emotional crash. So uh, let's travel to another mountaintop. Check this out. This is Mount Carmel. And uh, this was the scene of the prophet Elijah's mountaintop experience, a major high point in his life. So just a little background on this guy. Elijah was a prophet whose mission, like life mission, was to call the people of Israel back to faithfully following their God. Because at this time in their history, they had been incredibly unfaithful, chasing after other foreign gods. And one of the main reasons for this was actually their king and their queen. The king of Israel at this time was a guy named Ahab. His wife, the queen, her name was Jezebel. You may have heard of these two. Well, they made it their life's mission to replace the God of Israel with the God Baal, who was the storm God of Jezebel's homeland of Phoenicia. And they were so serious about this that they captured and killed as many of the prophets and priests of God that they could. And under this threat of violence, uh, always on the run and having to hide, you have Elijah. He's God's man, he's faithful, he's strong, he's resilient. And so this conflict reaches a head on the top of Mount Carmel because Elijah challenges all the prophets of Baal to a contest, to a showdown. And it goes like this, each team gets to make a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, and whichever God sends down fire from heaven, that's the true God of Israel. And so that's the contest, and all these people, all these Israelites gather on the mountain to watch this. So imagine yourself, in the crowd watching this go down. 
You've got hundreds of priests of Baal calling out to Baal. They're getting increasingly agitated and doing stranger and stranger things, trying to get Baal to respond. They go at this for hours, like all day, nothing. And Elijah steps forward and you watch as he offers a simple prayer and then Boom, fire from heaven consumes the sacrifice. And for Elijah, it is like victory, vindication, mission accomplished. It is this mountaintop experience in his life. And what's shocking is that what immediately follows this is a crash. Elijah will totally fall apart. And we'll get to watch and see how God responds. Now, what about us? Okay, you're probably not an Olympic athlete. I mean, maybe you are, but probably not. Uh, and I'm guessing that you've never gone one versus 800 prophets of some false god. I mean, okay, so we probably can't relate to that, but I bet you have had this experience of, of a high point, a mountaintop, and then an emotional collapse. And maybe it was a promotion. It was this job that you wanted, you were gunning for. It's like that, that's like my dream job. And there came a point in your life where you got it. And it was this huge high point for you. It's greater influence, prestige, and a major pay increase. But you just found on the other side of this high point, it's like, well, this is also a job. <laughs> and actually, all the problems I used to complain about are now my problems. And so you just reach this low point where you're going, is this really what it feels like to be at the top? Or perhaps you met somebody and it was very apparent quickly on this person is the one. And so you dated, you got engaged. There's wedding planning, that beautiful wedding day, uh, a honeymoon, and then you come home and you have a job and bills and the car breaks down. And then there's this problem, these uh, people, in-laws, that's what it is. <laughs> and you hit this low point, this, this crash, or perhaps it's a uh, spiritual, a spiritual high and a spiritual crash. Have you ever been to, uh, growing up, did you ever go to church summer camp like I did? Or maybe you've been on a mission trip. I know a bunch of you uh, served in Mexico or Belize. Perhaps you experienced this with Lifeline Snow Camp, but you have this like amazing spiritual high. And then you get home and nobody else is there. And maybe you make some dumb decisions and it's just like crash. You can't sustain that spiritual high. All I'm saying is these things happen and they're more normal maybe than you realize. We experience this with graduation. You experience this when you're training for a marathon. You experience this when you have a new baby. High crash. And I, the reason I think this is so important is that in those low moments, we're vulnerable. And the choices that we make in the low points and the breaking points can often have lasting consequences in our lives, in our families, and with our faith. And so this is important conversation. As we spend some time with Elijah, we're gonna gain some wisdom as we watch how he navigates this, and I think most importantly, how God meets him in this space. So if you wanna follow along today, uh, we're gonna be in 1 Kings, which is in the Old Testament, uh, chapter uh, 19. Uh, and uh, it's four parts to the conversation today, and part one is the crash. 
So you may have been wondering, you know, Elijah, this mountaintop experience, and he's got these enemies, uh, the king and the queen. So like, how are they doing with this? Like, how are they responding to this situation? And while Jezebel, she's just heard the news, and this is what she has to say. This is verse two of chapter 19. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. And what she's doing here is issuing a death threat. She's going, Elijah, I'm gonna find you and I'm gonna kill you. Now, Elijah, he's been dealing with this for years, okay? He's been on the run, he's been hiding. They've been trying to find him and kill him the whole time. So if I'm Elijah, I'm like, you lost, okay? Get over it, Jezebel. So he's good, right? Verse three, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. I don't know exactly what's up, but he's scared and he books it. I mean, he is gone. And I think it's just really important for us to pause here and go, Elijah blew it. Elijah ran, he got scared, he left his responsibility, he left his life's mission. And if Elijah's capable of this, so are you and I. I mean, this is the guy who just went head to head with like 800 false prophets all on his own. This is the guy who watched fire come down from heaven, from God. This is the guy who is so godly that he, won't, he, he doesn't die at the end of his life. God scoops him up and takes him to heaven in a fiery chariot. This is Elijah, okay? Wow, and yet he blows it right here. And so it's just a, a, a reminder for us, a challenge for us. Listen, he's not invincible and neither are you. And all of us are susceptible to weakness and all of us will hit a breaking point. And so this is Elijah. He's scared. He takes off. And when he runs, this guy runs. I mean, he's like Forrest Gump. He just runs for a long time time, okay? When he came to Beersheba in Judah, so he's heading south from Israel, he's already gone a very far distance. He comes to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went out a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, this is kind of important because this wilderness, I mean, imagine like very desolate landscape, and he, go, he leaves his servant, he leaves his animal, he leaves his supplies, and he goes out into this wilderness. For, he walks for a whole day. And I'm just saying, you can't get back alive after walking that far into the wilderness. And it gets worse. He came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under that bush and he fell asleep. This is a guy who is done. And he's finished. He, he's literally going, God, just, just take me. Question, why is he so low? Why is he so deeply broken? Well, I believe that Elijah thinks that he has failed he has failed his mission. He has failed God that there's absolutely no hope. And I think he's going, look, even with the thing at Mount Carmel, Ahab and Jezebel, they're still on the throne. 
they're still in charge of this country and they are 100% team bail. And he's just going, I'm finished, I'm done. God, just take me out. Now, you might not be able to relate to just how low Elijah is here, and maybe you can. But whether or not you can, I think there is something that he says that all of us can relate to. And it's these words when he says, I have had enough, Lord. Just the phrase, I've had enough. I'm guessing that you said those words or even something like those words, even even this week. I've had enough of this. I've had enough of trying to figure out what bills to pay, what bills we honestly can't pay. I've just had enough of always being on the verge of final collapse. I can't take it anymore. I've had enough. Scan chemo. Scan surgery. Scan radiation. Scan. It's just cancer. And you're just going, I I can't carry this anymore. I can't take any more of this. God, I've had enough of this. Another relationship that doesn't work out. Another job that's a bust. Another month with a negative pregnancy test. And you're just going, I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't take this. God, I've had enough of this. Or perhaps you or somebody that you love struggles with an addiction. And it's like, okay, things are going okay. Things are going good. And then there's a mistake. And then you're, you're right back in it. And so you, you get honest, you get help, and then you're doing good for a while, and then, there's, then you blow it, and you're right back in it, and you're just going, I can't, I can't anymore. I can't do this, God. I've had enough. And I just wonder if you've been there. I wonder if you're there right now. And part of the value of Elijah's story is just to be able to say, you're not alone. Elijah is one of the heroes of the faith, one of the spiritual giants in the scriptures, and he is down and out. He's in an emotional collapse. He's literally asking God to take his life. And I'm just saying, you're not alone. If you're in that kind of space, you're not alone. Now, I just want to pause for a second. Let's just be real. Elijah is suicidal. And I just recognize with the church of our size that there's somebody that's here today watching online and and that is where you find yourself. You're wrestling with suicidal thoughts. And I just wanna say to you that my hope for you is as this message progresses that you will feel how much God loves you. And also, I just hope that you reach out that you would stop your campus pastor on the way out, stop a ministry leader, send us a message through adabible.info because we want to come alongside you and journey with you in this difficult time. So please, please reach out. So Elijah, he's run away. He's abandoned his mission. He's collapsing emotionally. He is suicidal. And the question is, how does God respond to somebody when they're at this level of a breaking point. So how is God going to respond to Elijah? So let's uh, jump into part two of our conversation today that's called the lunch. 
All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. I have a question for you. What is God like? Here you got Elijah. He's run away from his job, his God-given job. He's totally collapsing emotionally. He's asking God to kill him. And God sends an angel with warm bread and a jar of water. And so I ask you, what is God like? Our God is compassionate. He is kind. He is gracious. He is generous. Our God is forgiving and he's understanding. Well, sure, that's what God is like when when I've got it all together and I'm doing the things that I should. No, that's just what God is like. And we see that in this moment with Elijah where he is totally breaking down. We see this in the gospels all over the place. I mean, read the gospels and watch Jesus as he interacts with people who have made an absolute mess out of their lives. And look how Jesus, watch how he engages them with exactly what they need with such incredible gentleness. This is who our God is. This is what he is like. And so, listen, I don't know what you're going through. It's possible that you are dealing with a serious mess in your life. And it's also possible that that mess is a mess that you made. So I don't know what you're going through, but I do know what our God is like. And I do know that he cares about you. He loves you. He has forgiveness for you. And he's pursuing you. And that is who our God is. Now, there's something important about this. Just recognizing how much God cared for Elijah here and just his kindness to Elijah. There's something so important about this and in traveling through breaking points. Because I've noticed something about spiritually mature people is that they have the ability, as they're traveling through a tough season of life, to notice to see God's kindness. And many of us miss it. But spiritually mature people, they seem to have a habit, they seem to have a discipline, a way of seeing God's activity, his kindness toward them, and it encourages them and it sustains them as they travel through difficult seasons. And I believe that we all need a discipline like this a discipline, a habit of noticing God's kindness so that he can sustain us in the difficult times. And so, and so what if we did this? I mean, what if you just set aside five minutes at the end of your day and just ask this question right here? Where did I see God's kindness today? And just take a couple moments to just notice, to think about your day. Maybe write it down. An encouraging text from your small group leader. Or or maybe just a, a beautiful sunset over Lake Michigan. 
Because sometimes, doesn't it just feel like God is showing off? And sometimes I think he's doing it for us to express his kindness and his love toward us. Maybe it's just recognizing that the scripture you read that morning was exactly what you needed. It's like God met you with that. Maybe it's street tacos, hang with me. I'm just telling you that if you need evidence for God's love for you and his existence in the universe, a good carne asada taco, I'm just me, but I'm telling you. A, a coffee conversation with a friend that was supposed to go an hour, it goes two hours, and it's just so life-giving. Taking the time to notice, a discipline of noticing God's kindness telling you this can sustain us in these difficult seasons. So for some of us, you're wondering, okay, why did God bring me here today? It might be that habit. It might be that discipline. Go home and put that into practice. You are free to go. That's all you need for today. Okay. No, sit back down. Okay. Uh, so Elijah. Elijah, he runs away, he's emotionally collapsing, he's, he's totally falling apart, and God sends an angel with warm bread and a jar of water. And I'm telling you, the only thing better than warm bread is actually more warm bread, okay? So the angel gives him more. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And so he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And I'm just saying, if God asked me to walk for 40 days, I'm going to need a little bit more than a loaf of bread. <laughs> God, hook me up with a cliff bar or something. So he travels this epically long journey to Mount Horeb, which is a special place. This is the mountain of God. Scholars believe this is the very same mountain, mountain where God met Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. And so God wants to have an encounter and a special conversation with Elijah. So part three today is called The Question. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And again, I'm just going, God, if you asked me to walk 40 days and I show up and you go, why are you here? I'd be like, what? Okay, there's another way to read this. Uh, what are you doing here, Elijah? Um, have you ever been to see a counselor? Okay, I have. Uh, I, I find a Christian counselor to be very helpful. And uh, I just know that often the beginning of these uh, counseling sessions start with the counselor saying something like, uh, what brings you in today? Or, you know, why, why are you here? In other words, like, how can I help you? I think it's a way of saying, what do you need? And I think that's what's going on here with Elijah. It's like God calls him to this mountain. He wants to have this encounter with him. And it's like he's going, Elijah, what do you need? He wants to have a conversation about what's really going on in Elijah's heart. And so here's Elijah's response. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I mean, you can just feel the pain in these words. It's like he's going, look, I've given everything. 
I've left it all on the field and we have lost. Your people have rejected you. They're killing all your prophets and now they're after me and he's just going, I'm done. It's like he's going, there's, there's no point anymore. It's over. There's no hope, God. And this is where Elijah's at. He's just so low. Now, not everything that he's saying is true, as we will find out. But it's how he feels. And isn't it true that how you feel has so much impact on your perception of reality? And so he's just going, God, it's over. There is no hope. And here's how God responds to him. The Lord God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then we get this uh, description. You may have heard this before where it's like, okay, there was this wind and the wind tore apart the mountain, but God was not in the wind. And then it's like, and then there was this earthquake that shook the mountain, but God was not in the earthquake. And then a fire, but God was not in the fire. And then a gentle whisper. And then it's like Elijah and God have this conversation. And there's so much going on here, all this uh, imagery, and we could spend a long time unpacking, okay, what does that mean? And why is it worded like this? But I think it's actually, there's something so simple going on here. And it's just these words at the beginning, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of God. It's like God is going to Elijah, meet with me. He just, he just wants to be with him. It's like he's giving him his presence. And why I think this is important is what Elijah actually needs. Hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? What do you need? What he really needs is God himself. Elijah doesn't need victory. He doesn't need vindication. It's not even... Ahab and Jezebel going away, what he really needs at the core is God himself. And I believe that was true for Elijah and it's also true for us. Whatever you're going through, what you need is not a solution, it's not a fix, it's not more money, it's not a better job, it's not a different body. What you need is God himself. That's what you were created for. This is why Jesus went to the cross. It's why he gave his life for you. It's the reason behind his offer of forgiveness and the promise of life after death. It's all so that you can be restored to God, have a relationship with him and walk with him. That's what you were created for. And I'm just telling you that un until that relationship is restored, nothing is going to fill you up. And so I got to ask you, what are you chasing? What is it that deep down you think this is going to fix me? And I just want to challenge you, it won't. Because you were made for a relationship with your creator. And until that is restored and that is in line, nothing Nothing, nothing is going to fill you up. And I just love this part of the story with Elijah because it's like, unless we talk about this, the rest of it is kind of pointless. So Elijah, he's fallen apart. 
emotional collapse. He wants to be done, and God gives him an experience with himself. And then something strange happens. God repeats the same question. He asks him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah, is even stranger, responds with the exact same answer. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty and the rest of the thing. And so it's a repeat question, a repeat answer. The first time God gives him an experience with himself, the second time God gives him, are you ready for this? A to-do list. Yes, I'm not joking. And all the type A people were like, finally, finally God gets me. God gives Elijah a to-do list. Okay, so part four of our conversation today is the to-do list. Here we go. The Lord said to him, go back the way that you came and go to the desert of Damascus. So I turn around, go back on this journey, go back the way that you came from. And I think there's something important here. Elijah, I mean, you can't get a more dramatic collapse than his, right? I mean, it's pretty bad. And what God is saying here is, Elijah, get back to work. Elijah, go back the way you came and get, get back in the game. And I just think it's so important to point this out. God is not done with Elijah. Even after this incredibly low point, he's not done with him. And I just wondered if you need to hear that today. Like, I don't know how you've blown it. I don't know what kind of mistakes you made. I don't know what kind of consequences you are dealing with, but I do know that God is not done with you. It's like, go back the way you came, get back in the game, get back to work. Now, another way to look at this is you might be going, this feels kind of heartless. It's kind of like they just had this, you know, almost like a counseling session and God's like, well, our time is up for today. So thanks for sharing your thoughts and your feelings, Elijah. Uh, time for you to go, get back to work. <laughs> Seems kind of heartless. But actually, when we look at the to-do list, which is what comes next, when we look at the to-do list, it's unbelievable how encouraging this is. So here we go, the to-do list now. I gotta find my spot. Okay, um, when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as a prophet. So go back the way that you came and anoint these three people. So uh, I, I took a to-do list off of Elijah's phone. Uh, it is an iPhone, just, just another strike against you Android users, I'm sorry. Um, I'm kidding. Okay, so he gives him, he gives him a to-do list. Anoint these three people. And again, it's kind of like, wow, this seems really weird. But let's talk about the significance of these individuals. Okay, first off, go back and anoint Hazael. Hazael is a king of, of a different country, a neighboring country. God is gonna use that king to discipline his people. And when God does that, it seems to always drive them back to himself in dependence. Secondly, uh, anoint Jehu. Jehu will be a king in Israel. And what's his deal? Well, he's gonna go to war against Baal. He's gonna get rid of the prophets of Baal. He will destroy the temple of Baal and he will outlaw Baal worship in Israel. That was Elijah's, Elijah's life mission, right? Okay, this guy is keeping it going. And then Elisha, what's this about? Elisha 
will become Elijah's protege, like his prophet Padawan, if you will. And this guy, when, when Elijah is gone, this guy will carry the mission forward. He will keep at it and carry it forward. And so if I'm Elijah, I'm looking at this to-do list and what I'm hearing is, it's not over. It is not over. And Elijah, you're not alone. It's like God is saying, I, I was at work, I am at work, I will continue to be at work. Elijah, understand, it's not over. I am with you. Now get back in the game, get back to work. And then he gives them one more thing that's just so powerful. Verse 18, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. 7,000 faithful followers. Do you remember what Elijah said? He's like, they've killed everyone. I'm the last one left and now they're trying to kill me. And God's going, no. I'm doing stuff that you don't even know about. I've got people that you aren't aware of. Elijah, it is not over and you're not alone. So get back to work. And I just think some of us need to hear this because you're looking at a marriage that you're going, I, I just, I don't, I don't, it's hard to imagine this getting healthy again. And it's like, you're not alone. God is at work. It's not over. Would you stay in the game? And some of you got a kid, teenager, maybe an adult, just wandering from God. And you're, it's like, I, there's no hope. Yes, there is. Because God is at work. He was at work. He will continue to be at work. It's not over. You're not alone. And would you stay in the game? And some of you are looking at a diagnosis, maybe it's yours and maybe it's somebody that you care about. And on paper, medically, there's no hope. There's no cure. But Jesus said these words to a grieving sister. I am the resurrection, I am the life. Do you believe this? God is at work. It's not over, not even death means it's over. And so would you stay in the game? I just wanna encourage you with these words. Stay in the game. Now, as we close, I just have one final challenge for you. And it's a question. What's your next move? What is your next move? What's your next step? of obedience, I wanna show you Elijah's next move. So God meets him in his collapse. He gives him himself, he encourages him, he feeds him, let's not forgive that. And then he gives them a to-do list, get back to work, Elijah. And so verse 19, so Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He left that place and he checked a box on his to-do list. He left the cave, he took a step of obedience, and he got back in the game, he got back to work. That was Elijah's 
next move. So what's your next move? I made a list of possibilities. Chris went from here and apologized for what he did. Anna went from here and made an appointment with a counselor. Ben went from here and set a healthy boundary. Alex went from here and committed to attending church again. Ella went from here and confessed what's really going on. Cam went from here and went to AA. And Jack went from here and found a place to serve. Jason went from here and joined a small group. Sam went from here and confronted him about the addiction. Sarah went from here and started a where have I seen God's kindness habit. And Emma went from here and had a real and honest conversation with God. What's your next move? What's your next step of obedience? Elijah left the cave, checked a box, and got back in the game. And my hope for you is that you would take a step as you leave this place. And so, Heavenly Father, as we close our time in your scriptures, we first just acknowledge your leadership, your rightful leadership of our lives. We, we acknowledge that your word is truth. And God, I just ask that you would meet our brothers and sisters, our friends who are truly at a breaking point. God, would you give them an experience with yourself? And would you care for them? And God, would you rally us to support them and help them uh, and sustain them through this time. God, be with us as we go from here. Help us to take steps of obedience toward you. God, we love you. We're so grateful for what you have done and continue to do for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here today. I look forward to next weekend. We'll see you next time.